0: Hello and welcome to the What's For Dinner Show. My name's Lynn, and my aim, along with my guests, is to explore how our food experiences have influenced our lives as well as our waistlines. My guest this week is Alison Blad, who is a nutritional therapist born and raised in the UK but now living in Sweden. Alison is a specialist in helping women to minimise, manage and mitigate the often challenging symptoms of the menopause through changes to diet and to lifestyle. I know that this is a topic of great interest to, well, let's face it, all women, as it seems that sometimes just saying the word menopause can cause a hot flush and a panic attack. Welcome to the What's For Dinner Show, Alison. Um, Perhaps we should begin by explaining exactly what the menopause is. We all assume, you know, people assume that everyone understands what the menopause is. But there's so many. I mean, I see with my clients that there's so many women that don't really understand because it isn't something that we talk about enough, really. And when we think of the menopause, it actually comes in three different stages. The first stage is what we call perimenopause, and perimenopause, on average, obviously it can vary considerably depending on on the woman, but it, it on average it starts at the age of forty five. And perimenopause really is where it's a bit like a hormone roller coaster. You know, one month your estrogen can be up and your progesterone can be down. You know, it's all over the place, and and that in itself, you know, you that's when you can start feeling the, the classical menopausal symptoms, you know, like hot flushes, uh, you can start gaining weight, uh, irritability, you know, mood swings, all, all those real, you know, tiredness, uh, total lack of energy. Uh, and this goes on roughly, again, it's, it's very uh, varied to the age of 51. And what happens then is you actually go into what we call menopause, and menopause is when you haven't ovulated so when you haven't had a period for a year and then you can actually say now I am in menopause uh, and what that means basically is that you're not ovulate anymore you're not producing any more eggs uh, and you're not fertile anymore uh, and then all the time after menopause you go into what we call postmenopause, and, and post-menopause is the state that you will be in for the rest of your life. And, I mean, women women are living, well, we're all living much longer than we used to, so that can be another 30 years of your life. But in post-menopause, you're not producing, uh, you're not ovulating, you're not producing any eggs. Uh, So, you know, your estrogen levels and hormone levels are very low. Uh, Your body does produce estrogen from other areas of the body, but, you know, the, the levels are low, and that's when, you know, you have to start looking at other areas of health to support yourself because oestrogen is so important for all aspects of bodily health. Uh, So, you know, there's different things that you need to do really through the different, uh, what we call the menopause transition. So are are you finding then that women who sort of come to you for advice, that they do lack a clear understanding of how the menopause or perimenopause is affecting their bodies? The majority of people that come to me are, are stressed, overwhelmed, feeling terrible. You know, they've started with the the menopausal symptoms, the tiredness, the the aching, the irritability, but they don't always understand it's menopause because, you know, life in general can be very stressful, can't it? And a a lot of midlife women, you know, they've got a career, they've got children at home, they're looking after the family. They are quite stressed and overwhelmed and they put, you know the symptoms down to their life rather than that it that it's perimenopause. They don't think about that, and when when you say to them, you know, it, have you thought that this actually could be perimenopause? You know, they, they, the majority of people say no, no, it can't be that. I, I'm I can't be because I think it's associated with age, isn't it? And oh no, no menopause, perimenopause. I'm not that can't be me. But I mean, it can start as a as early as the age of forty. So in answer to your question. Yes, I do. I think a lot of women don't truly understand what it what it actually is and what happens to the body. No, because I mean I don't think I'd even heard the phrase perimenopause until a friend of mine mentioned it. And I was like, Well, what's that then? Um and and thinking that it was something that was more into your late fifties, sort of sixties really, quite a big shock as well, that it that it has such a wide range of impacts on your physical and um and mental health really. really does estrogen is is you know it's a it's a master hormone it we have estrogen receptors all over our body so you know it's needed for virtually every bodily system to to work as it should so you know when the levels start to decline and eventually you know you stop producing estrogen from from your ovaries it affects so many things. I think people don't really understand or realize how important estrogen is for our overall health. Does it stem from a sort of a more general lack of understanding about how what we eat affects our bodies? Because I think we just get so bound up with thinking about what we eat in relation to our weight, rather than the more general sense of, of well-being that it relies also on on our diet yeah great point Lynn. i mean it's they so important you know it's it, it doesn't have to be complicated. You know we should eat nourishing foods. you know, choose not to eat all the highly refined processed foods and eat foods that nourish your body. It, it's not that complicated. you know we weren't made to eat processed foods, and foods like that have no nutritional value. The food environment is is become very um toxic you know that it's difficult i understand when people are busy and stressed that you know it's easier just to grab the the pre-pack foods uh but i mean it it doesn't nourish your body. Yeah, it doesn't have the range of vitamins and minerals and nutrients that we need. And I think we're just so focused on volume of what we eat, and and like you say, the ease and the speed with which we can create something to eat. We kind of are forgetting really that you know everything that that goes in affects h- how we feel, how we look, and how our bodies function. You know, ultimately, how we weather the the sort of storms of of the cycle of life, really. Do you yourself come from a family of healthy eaters? Well, I, I was um, lucky enough to be brought up on a farm in the south of England. Uh, and, and I, you know, even from a very young age, I remember, you know, being outside in nature. And my mother was a professional chef as well. And she used to grow all her own uh, vegetables and, and fruits. We had a, a lovely fruit trees. So from a very young age, I was in the kitchen. You know, watching her cook and, and helping her cook, and so, so I think you know I was very privileged to grow up in in that sort of environment because it really made it taught me how to cook for for one and, and gave me that real love of food. So I mean, I've I've never really been subjected so much to refined foods because I I, I just cooked from whole base foods. But I think that that it was to do with my mother as well because she she always used you know raw ingredients to make things and it's so interesting as well in in research they because we there's so much research coming out now about the mind the gut microbiome the gut bacteria and you know how wonderful it is for children that, that grow up in that sort of environment because you know I was out running around with the pigs and the donkeys and you know in mud and, and everything but that gives you such a diverse uh microbiome all the different bacteria that, that you get in and also from the the homegrown foods and, and everything but i think ch- people and, and children in in general now don't mm. have that diversity of gut bacteria because they're we're, we're very we're super clean aren't we now we yeah yeah it's a more sterile kind of environment isn't it especially over the recent years with all the um, anti covid spraying and hand washing and and everything you know which obviously is was has been very important but at the same time you know it mitigates against our sort of involvement with the bugs and the germs that that we need to keep our bodies resistant i suppose isn't it yeah so important the gut bacteria mm-hmm. i mean talking about uh, menopause and perimenopause there you know when estrogen levels decline it starts to infect the integrity of the gut so you know it's even more important that you you start thinking about eating you know what we call probiotic foods which are are the fermented foods that have the wonderful gut bugs in you know the, the bacteria like sauerkraut kimchi kefir fermented vegetables so Mm. so beneficial for health it's tim Spector, isn't it i think who is sort of one of the uh gut advocates and i love the way that he talks about french food and how gooier and the stickier the brie is the more microbes there are in it and you ought to eat plenty of it you know and that the french know a thing or two about um about how to keep the gut healthy it really is I mean it all starts in the gut and I I see that so much with you know my clients that if you work on gut health you know it affects everything from your mood Mm. to to your skin health to you know it's everything it's so important that we we look after our gut bacteria and and our digestion so when you were you know growing up on the farm then what would a typical mealtime have been like for you when you were growing up yeah, one thing that I t- I think now living in, in in Sweden as well, one thing that I really remember that my mother was just so good at was a, was a roast dinner. And even now, and I think sometimes I really crave a nice roast dinner because I <laughs> don't really eat roast dinners in Sweden. It's not such a big thing over here. But she was just so, it was everything was so wholesome and tasty you know you'd have a nice roast chicken and then you'd have like roast potatoes and and then Brussels sprouts I remember we ate a, a lot of and carrots and you know with a lovely gravy it, it was delicious and maybe um oh what are they called that you have with that made from batter oh um Yorkshire puddings. Yorkshire puddings yes well I mean that's about the only sort of upside of the the time of year that we're about to embark on that it sort of becomes roast dinner season in my mind but it's nothing nicer than a proper roast dinner i really missed that actually but that i think that's what i remember most from from growing up with my mum. yeah and so would you have had a, a fancy sort of dessert on a on a sunday with your roast dinner well another uh, thing that my mother was amazing at she used to make this chocolate pavlova so so I remember always saying to her, Oh can't you make the it was it, I don't know what she did to it, but it was just perfect and it was all, yeah <laughs> roast dinner with chocolate cobbler. what more can you ask for? <laughs> <laughs> so going to school then Did you go to a sort of a small sort of rural school? I actually went to boarding school from the age of seven. You know, seven years old is quite young, really, isn't it, to Mm. go to boarding school, and it was very, very strict. Food was fine, but it was, you know, your normal fish fingers and mashed potato. Maybe on the weekend you get bacon, lots of toast, I remember, and Marmite. (laughs) The one thing that I really remember about that, which... I find quite fascinating now, you know, working as a nutritional therapist, that sugar, totally not allowed. They were really strict about how many sweets you could eat. And they had in the pantry, I remember they had a cupboard quite high up that was always locked. And in that they had, you know, the big mm. uh, jars that you used to get, like in sweet shops with like bonbons and, and things. And then at the weekends, that the matron, who was quite scary, used to get this big jar of strawberry bonbons out and hand them out to all. The, you know, we'd be sat at the table. We'd, we'd get one of these strawberry bonbons on a Saturday and a Sunday. What? Just one? Just one, yeah. One, that was it. If It's, it's such a um, drastic change if you think how it is mm. now for seven-year-old children, the, the amount of sugar that's in our diet and everything. But the thing is, because I didn't really eat any sugar, I didn't miss it. It wasn't a big deal, really. No, I guess your sort of palate just wouldn't have craved it. I mean, I think that's sort of well, how we understand now it kind of works. The more you have, the more your body sort of switches on to to wanting more. Yeah, I mean sugar is addictive and and sugar has no nutritional value. We 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 don't need you know to eat sweets and and there's no nutrition at all in sugar and it is addictive it's been shown in studies you know that they've done on on rats that they prefer there was one study in particular where where the rats preferred to eat the the sugar to have it they had cocaine and they had sugar Mm, wow yeah the sugar was more addictive scary what was yours most hated boarding school meal that you can remember they used to do tabioca I remember they did tabioca that was not they hadn't really made it very properly it was all lumpy and, and cold and then it had that like a bit of a skin over the top a bit like semolina as well it was and I do actually like semolina but it was the way they made it, it was not pleasant apart from that I don't really have any foods that I actually dislike I mean there's some maybe that you I wouldn't choose to that aren't my favorite but there isn't really anything that I absolutely detest. So what, I mean, what do you think prompted you to sort of go into a nutritional therapy career? Was it something that you were always sort of set on? I think it was actually my destiny because I've always had a huge love of food. I mean, I am extremely passionate about cooking. Uh, And, you know, as I was saying, that my, my mother was a professional chef. So, you know, I was in the kitchen as soon as I could, just making things and experimenting. That went you know, into another level when I got old in my teenage years, I actually developed acne. I had quite bad skin when I was a teenager. And it started to get me thinking about, you know, is this to do with something I'm eating? You know, why is this happening to my skin? And that led me into, you know, the interest in hormones, puberty. I actually initially uh, worked as an esthetician, so as as a beauty therapist, specifically working with ladies that had perimenopausal, menopausal skin problems, because that's all hormonal based because of the lack of estrogen. And I very soon started to realise that, you know, you have to look at what's going on in the inside. It's not just the outside. And that's when I went back and studied to, to be a nutritional therapist. Studying nutritional science, really. So I think it, I think it was destined because I've always loved food, loved cooking, and always been very interested, even from a young age. In you know, if I eat that, what's in that? What are the nutrients? What are the minerals? How is that going to benefit me? I think it's a combination of growing up and having suffering from acne and wanting to know how food could help me, which I did do, and it and it did really help with, with my lifestyle and food really helped my skin. And and also, you know, my mother, her love of food and cooking. So I think it was a combination, really. So how do you think, you know, the medical profession's attitude to diet and the impact of diet on our health? Has that changed, do you think, over the sort of course of your your career? Yeah, I mean, nutritional science, the nutritional world, you know, changes all the time because because of the the research that's coming out. I mean, it's fantastic that there is there needs to be more research done in certain areas, but there, there is always research mm. coming out about food and, you know, what we should eat. And it changes all the time. So, you know, you know I've seen when, when I started, fat was no, no, we shouldn't eat fat. Fat is terrible. You know, it's, everything was low fat, you know, high carbohydrate. And now we're seeing that that actually wasn't very good advice because there's an obesity epidemic worldwide, and fat mm. isn't bad for you. Okay, the sort of fat you eat is is very important, but we need fat. That's really, really crucial. So I think that all the there's many, many changes that that I have seen. I, I think you know we're living in in a society where there's so much temptation out there with all these highly processed, refined you know, that they have people that basically just work in laboratories and, and research that perfect, like they call like the the sweet spot mm. of, of fat, sugar. So we become addicted to all these processed foods because they obviously want us to buy them. But it is being very detrimental to our health. So I, I, I really do feel that there's a lot more that, that could be done to improve the health of, of society. And a lot of the big food giants aren't really helping you know to improve the nation's health that they're more you know they're more concentrated on how much money they can make yeah so there's like a commercially driven mm-hmm. imperative for us to not eat healthier yeah yeah, yeah so because I mean it's, it's when you go into a supermarket you should you should just go around the outside because round the outside you know you've got the, the vegetables the fruits the meats as soon as you go into like the middle aisles that's when you're like just bombarded with all the crisp biscuits chocolate yeah so just, just go, go around, around the house. House. <laughs> That's very yes yeah, so i'm visualizing my my local supermarket now and i'm thinking you're right because you go in there's the fruit and the veg there's the fish there's the meat round the back down the other side for some toiletries and and out the door <laughs> I remember my my grandmother. She grew up in the Second World War, and she didn't. You know, she didn't really eat anything that was sugary because she never. She didn't grow up with with sugar. She she, one thing she did this always fascinates me, and I wish that I'd asked her more about this. But she always used to have for breakfast an an avocado. She She had an avocado. She used to call it an avocado pear, and she'd have in it some olive oil, and then she'd have some sort of bran cereal. And now that was just like the most healthiest breakfast. But when I was a kid, I didn't realise. I just thought, oh, how weird is that? What's she doing? <laughs> it's a very strange thing to do, like you say, but it's full of a, a lot of nutrients and fats that you need to get through the day. <laughs> See, I mean, she lived till she was 97, yeah. so she obviously doing something <laughs> <right. Yeah. laughs> Obviously, living in Sweden now, you know, if you were to invite me around for Sunday lunch what might be on the menu yeah Sweden. I mean the, the the typical very I mean that everyone always thinks of Sweden yeah. is the herring you know the the pickled herring so this comes in many different uh, marinades uh, and I can remember when I first moved over here and I and I love fish and, and herring but I, I thought oh I don't know about that but now I love it, I really. So a very classic Swedish meal would be, you know, you'd have your herring, uh, you'd you have cheese on the, the crisp bread, uh, you'd maybe have some eggs, creme fraiche that you have, like cream uh, with the, the herring. That, that, but that tends to be more of a summertime meal. If you were to come around in the autumn or the winter, they eat a lot of wild meat in Sweden. We, we, I'm very spoiled that that we can get hold of like elk, and, you know, deer and, and reindeer, which is a lovely meat. And um, I very much like the fact that it's wild. You know, it hasn't been interfered with or factory farmed or pumped yeah. full of antibiotics or anything. So I think probably now if you came round to dinner now, I'd probably serve or lunch like maybe like venison. And they, they do something called uh, Hasselback potatoes, where uh, it's it's basically a potato that you just slice very do lots of slices through the middle of it, bit like so. It looks like there's maybe ten different slices, and you bake them in the oven, and you put um, salt and pepper. You mm. can put breadcrumbs over them, and, and then some oil. Uh, they're delicious, very uh, crispy. So that, and then vegetables. I mean, the the beans, all the nice green beans are in season here, so. And I've got lots of, I've had some tomatoes growing out on the balcony this year. So I've got hundreds of tomatoes. So I might bake you some tomatoes. (laughs) It sounds delicious. I've never um, actually eaten venison. So that would be a new one for me. Because obviously I think it's quite a luxury uh, meat in in this country. Yeah, it is. And I mean, venison's it's okay price-wise here. But if you're going to be eating like reindeer and elk, then it does get, quite expensive but that's something you know I think it's for me it's all about quality I'd rather eat Mm. meat less but when I do eat meat I'd rather have a good you know quality piece of meat going back to Christmas then so do you celebrate Christmas in a sort of traditional English way now that you're in Sweden or are there other habits sort of crept in yes Swedish uh, in Sweden Christmas is a really big thing I always try I always have to have a turkey but we tend to spread it out. So, you know, in, in Sweden, Christmas is celebrated on Christmas Eve. And then they have their typical smorgasbord. board, you know, where you, where you have like it's a bit like a buffet where you, where you have a, a wild selection of everything. And it's very classical. You'd have all your fishes. So you'd have uh, salmon. You'd have the herring. You'd have that with the cheese on and, and the crisp bread. And then you'd have some like new potatoes or fresh potatoes. So you'd have that first as kind of a starter and then you you would have like the meat mm. so the meatballs are uh, very typical Swedish, uh, and then you might have some sausages, uh, and they do um, it's a bit like a, a potatoes done in the oven with anchovies. So you slice the potatoes, a bit like a potato grat- gratin. What's that called in Swedish? jansens frestelse. That's delicious. So they have that with, with all the meats, and then the, uh, sweet things. Wise they, they they love making their own like sweets. So you can, I've been out sometimes at Christmas to various different restaurants and they, it's amazing. They make these most beautiful, you know, little handmade sweets that you, you tend to eat afterwards for dessert. So that's quite, tip. and ham, the, the meat, they, tend, they bake a big ham. Turkey isn't such a big thing here, but they would have a ham. But I always insist on having a tur- roast turkey one of the days and you having stuffing. And uh, the Swedes really don't understand <laughs> stuffing. It's it's they don't really like it. They're like, oh, what, what's that? You know, a bit suspicious yeah. <laughs> of it. So but I make it anyway because I like it. So so the little sweets, then, are they like a sort of a chocolate item or a boiled sweet? It's a real wide selection from chocolate to like mm. toffees, really beautifully made. I don't know if you've heard of the Great British Bake Off, have you? Yes, you yes, have. Yes. Good. Um, so this, there's a series on currently. And a couple of weeks ago, they asked the contestants to bake a Swedish torta. I think that's how you might say it. Is that something that you've eaten? I have. Not very often, to be honest. Well, yeah. Well, it seemed to be uh, sort of slices of bread. I mean, because it was bread week, so they had to make the bread. Yeah. Uh, slices of bread with different kinds of fillings, savoury fillings in between. So I guess, you know, aesthetically, it looks a bit like a layer cake but it's actually savoury. It's like it's like a huge, big sandwich, really. Mm. That's the best way to describe it. It's like an almighty sandwich shaped in the, in the cake. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, have you made one of those yourself or is that something that you might only have when you're out? I actually have never made one of those myself. And it's not something, I don't actually, to be honest, see that very often mm. when I'm out in restaurants and that. Mm. But yeah, it is a Swedish thing back to the menopause then what sort of advice you know would you like give people if they are approaching perimenopause and the sorts of steps that they can take to try and you know mitigate the more unpleasant sides of, of that stage of life there's many things that you can do but i think one thing that you have to understand is that it is, you're coming into a time of your life where you have to take better care of yourself you know i always like to say you've got the 80 20 rule that if you do 80% of your life you know, healthily and thinking about what you eat and lifestyle choices, you know, have some wine or eat some chocolate or, you know, but really when you're to you come into menopause, you you know, it goes down to like 90 10. And, and there's a lot of research done on, you know, if you look after yourself and, and you, you manage your weight and think about what you're eating, that, you know, hopefully your menopausal symptoms won't be as severe. Uh, there, there's a lot of correlation between. The, the amount of weight that you're mm. carrying in hot flushes, for, for example. So, you know, really thinking about eating a balanced diet. Uh, the, the Mediterranean style diet is a diet that that always comes up in, in research as being so beneficial, you know, for, for everyone, but in particular for menopausal women, because it's really giving you all the healthy fats. You know, you've got no refined processed foods. Uh, you've got all, you know, protein like fish and, and white meat, they don't tend to eat so much red meat, uh, vegetables, fruits, or legumes, nuts and seeds. Basing your meals on these sort of foods, you know, you, you think I'm going to choose those sort of foods. I'm not going to choose the foods that aren't good for my body. Uh, and nourishing your body, nourishing and hydrating your body is so important. I mean, something as simple as drinking enough water can really make you feel better during perimenopause and, and menopause. So I think it's just being kind to yourself and and choosing not to eat foods that make you feel terrible. Mm. And so, do you think then that the menopause is experienced differently in different sort of cultures and different countries? Yeah, t- totally. And this is again we've been shown in in research that different cultures and societies that in the in the Western world we we tend to have you know majority of women do suffer from some sort of menopausal symptoms and can have a really difficult time during this period but in d- different mm. cultures where they maybe don't eat all the refined foods and just eat whole foods they the foods they've grown they don't you know they, they, their menopausal experience and symptoms is way less and it's also another fascinating thing I think in in different cultures where menopause is, is looked upon as you know th- the woman when she's older is looked up to uh, and you know it's really respected and thought of as, as a, a transition in life where you, you know you you become an elder and you, you're leading the, the the people they don't really tend to get any menopausal symptoms so I mean it's fascinating whereas in, in the western society menopause is you know there's a stigma a little bit of a stigma attached to it we don't really talk about it and w- majority of women in the western world do really suffer through menopause so I think it absolutely in answer to your question it it makes a difference where, where you come from in the world. Mm. And I guess it's sort of getting the menopause onto a sort of level footing with, you know, the other sort of significant stages of of our lives, you know, whether it's puberty or, you know, pregnancy, you know, these are just things that happen to the body and uh, should be completely normalized. And we should understand more about how we manage that process. I mean, menopause is a t- total, naturally process. You know, it's it will happen to every woman. You know, in a way, we celebrate pu- puberty, don't we? It's a new beginning, and it's all very exciting in the beginning of your life and, and pregnancy. You know, all these big hormonal events in, in a, in a woman's life. But menopause is kind of brushed under the carpet, and that's like, oh no, we don't want to talk mm. about that, that. That it's age, isn't it? We're quite an ageism in society, and it's you know, an older woman you know, we're not fertile anymore. But I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, w- women that have come into post-menopause, you know, we're fantastic. It should be celebrated. How would you like the understanding of, of menopause or the word menopause to be kind of, you know, reimagined? Yeah, but I, I think it should be, you know, it's the, it's the the next stage in a woman's life. It should be celebrated for that. We're wiser, we're, we're older and we're amazing. I, I don't, Absolutely, do not think that it's a time that we should think. Okay, you know, we're older now. Let's just scuttle off and not be seen again. It should be celebrated and rejoiced. And I guess part of that celebration is taking that time and learning and understanding how to look after yourself, so that you know that postmenopausal period is as long as we can make it be. It, in a way, it's a, it's a kind of a, a freedom because, you know, there are many things that are, are positive to do with menopause. You know, you've, you've no more periods, you don't have to worry about getting pregnant anymore. You know, you you will have hopefully more time to yourself when, you know, if your children are leaving home, you know, you, you may be retiring. It should be a time in your life you think, wow, now I've got time to do what I want to do finally. And I'm going to go off and you know, do these mad and crazy things that make you feel good. So it's a new beginning, essentially. Exactly, Mm, new beginning. beginning. I think when when you look at perimenopause and menopause, you have this, it's like a puzzle, really, then you have to have all the things in there, you know, to really get the, the maximum from your health and, you, you can uh, top your estrogen levels up with hormone replacement mm. therapy and, and also estrogen declines. But also progesterone is, is another sex uh, female sex hormone declines and, and, you know, eventually your body stops producing that from your ovaries. So it's really those two key hormones. And then obviously you've got t- testosterone in the background there, which declines with age anyway, you know, in, in everybody. So you know you've got those three key hormones, and you know they're, they're crucial for, for for overall health. You know, estrogen is so so important, and but we can't replace those with food. Mm. But what you can do, if you really look after yourself with with good nutrition, with good lifestyle habits, and a positive mindset, and then you know if if you feel that hormone replacement therapy is right for you and that fits in with your health and and, and everything, then, you know, you it, what I say to my clients is get the whole picture, get all the knowledge in front of you. And then it's up to you. It's your decision. You know, there is many benefits to taking hormone replacement therapy if that suits you. But once you've got everything there, then you can decide. But, you know, you can't just do one of those pieces If you take hormone replacement therapy but have a terrible diet and don't exercise and smoke and and drink, Mm. you're still going to feel terrible. (laughs) You've got to work on all the different pillars, really, to to get the the maximum benefit. Is there anything else sort of around the sort of nutritional and lifestyle side of the the menopause that you want to sort of pass on? There's two key. I mean, there's many, many, (laughs) many, many things you can do. But the two key things really that, that will make you start feeling better the quickest is uh, stress management and uh, keep balancing your blood sugar. Mm. You know, really thinking about your food choices and keeping the blood sugar balanced. So because basically when you eat refined carbohydrates that shoot your blood sugar up, you get into this kind of roller coaster effect of, of having high blood sugar, Your body then secretes a hormone called insulin, which really helps to take care of of the blood sugar. It gets rid of the sugar. It opens up the cells and allows the cells to use that sugar. But once it does that, the blood sugar crashes again. And that's when you start craving sweet things again. So then you eat a muffin or whatever it is, and then your blood sugar crashes. So you get into this roller coaster, you know, hot flashes, mood swings, weight gain. Insulin is a key hormone, and as we go into menopause um we can become less sensitive to insulin, so that means your body doesn't take care of the, the blood sugar levels like it should and you know that just leads on to an array of other uh, symptoms so really thinking just thinking about what you eat, eat protein is key you know a palm size of protein w- with every meal is really important for women as as well for women in general, but especially as we get older. And then having your healthy fats, avocado, olive oil, nuts and seeds. And then having your carbohydrates, but getting your carbohydrates from vegetables. You know, green vegetable carbohydrates. You don't actually need to have bread and, and lots of potatoes and everything with your meal. It, it's better to get your carbohydrates from from vegetables, and that really helps to keep your blood blood sugar on on balance. And you know, if you eating uh rice and things like that always buy whole grain because they're they're much better for your Mm -hmm. digestion and don't spike your blood sugar as much so blood sugar is key Mm -hmm. and then the, the second thing is stress management and stress is so detrimental for a menopausal woman and it's because of all the things that happen that the hormones that are released when we're chronically stressed it just cascades into this, you know, lack of sleep, weight gain, cravings. It's really, mm. and I think stress management is something that we all tend to think, oh, well, like, well, no, well I can't, I'm so busy, how am I ever going to be able to do, you know, manage my stress? But you really have to, you have to give yourself that time to, to manage your stress, otherwise you're going to get to a point where, you know, you're maybe not going to be able to work, but you're going to be feeling so terrible just little things that you can do just something as simple as deep breathing if you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed alongside the menopause you've got a lot of other p- potential life changes happening as well with if, if you know if you're like say your children are growing up and there's issues related to <laughs> to all of that teenagers and so on and so forth and then they might leave home and then that can be quite challenging I think and cause women to sort of reconsider what it is that they're Doing and you know with their life and uh, you know that can, it can be a, just a very stressful period of life, regardless of the menopause. Really, so yeah, you just have to put yourself first. And you know, I always say, you know, we've all got this never-ending to-do list, haven't we? But your to-do list is never going to be done. You can't say, "Oh, I'll, I'll start doing stress management. I'll do that when I've done this to-do list." But it's never going to be finished, is it? Because there's always new things you're adding to it. Mm. So take five ten minutes a day if if that's all the time you've got to just go and do something that you enjoy or just sitting peacefully by a window drinking a cup of tea go and sit outside go for a walk so so important for for our overall health really and it's okay to look after yourself I think we, we tend to sometimes feel guilty don't we so my last question, uh, you can so you can go and, and have a little bit of me time yourself. Just tell me quickly what's on your dinner table tonight. That's actually interesting. You asked that because I made it early because I knew I wouldn't have time tonight. I made a, um, a meatloaf, so, you know, with that, and it was I actually made made the, with lots of herbs. I've I love her. I grow herbs out in the garden. So uh, like minced lamb, all mixed up with with an egg in there, and then um, thyme and rosemary, salt and pepper. Yeah, that was it. So I'm going to have that, and then I'm going to have some broccoli. Huge fan of all the the broccoli. that's so another wonderful vegetable yeah. for for women because it really helps to your know, digestion and getting rid of uh, all the the hormones that you should excrete through your body. So all of the, the those sort of vegetables are wonderful for for menopause or women. And um, broccoli. And what else am I having with that? Maybe some uh, beans, some runner beans that sounds good my mum used to make meatloaf when we were growing up actually <laughs> great well that is uh, wonderful um it's it's been really interesting talking to you yeah it's been lovely really interesting uh, conversation That's actually very nice to think back about what you ate when you were a child thank you so much for being on the what's for dinner show i hope you've enjoyed it Thanks for listening. Before I go, just a little reminder that if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. You can share an episode from your podcast player or from my website, or you can easily share one of my social media posts on Instagram or Facebook. If you're kind enough to share an episode, I'll give you a personal shout out on the show to say thank you. What more could you ask for? Thanks in advance for helping me spread the word about my podcast. Thank you to Rick Simmons from the Content Podcast podcast for his help and advice. And thank you to Pixel Bay for the music.